Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, this is Maggie, and on this episode, we are doing the 65th Best Picture winner, Unforgiven. So we are back with yet another Western. The saddest to date. Jesus. Sorry, I'm in my feels today. <laughs> I was watching this last night, and I knew you were going to be watching it this morning. And I, like, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, Ian's going to be... <laughs> really sad yeah i just like the the final scene opened where they had the like epilogue like text and i just sat there and cried and i'm like wow i didn't expect this i'm yeah i mean i was about to be like i'm so sorry and then i was like i didn't choose this so <laughs> this wasn't a western that i chose yeah i don't know if people have noticed there is a distinct difference in the westerns that we have to watch for the podcast and the ones i choose for us to watch y yes yes <laughs> this movie was directed produced by and stars clint eastwood i i think we'll probably get into it a little bit more later but i I do think it's so interesting that, you know, he rose to fame in the Sergio Leone, like, spaghetti westerns. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's so interesting to see, like, his take on the genre as, like, a director and a producer. It co-stars Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman, and Richard Harris, all of whom, great. Astoundingly good. Yeah, and it was written by David Webb Peoples, who also wrote Blade Runner. Huh, that, that kind of tracks, actually. Which I, I know is weird, but it does. Yeah, like the the grumpy kind of morally gray, potentially moderny sort of potentially yeah. like you know anti hero kind of feel. Yeah, Eastwood has long said that this would be his last western. I actually haven't googled to see if that is true. So I think, in a very technical sense, if you're being very very narrow with your definition of a western, that's true. But there are some like space cowboys, the it's mule. Cowboy in like, the title, it, they have kind of like space. <sighs> but hey, we're again. We've talked about how in reality, my favorite genre is space westerns, <laughs> aka adventure sci-fi. There you go. So like I, I will. Depends on how th there are plenty of movies in his filmography that have western motifs. In my personal opinion. Uh, even if they're not considered Westerns in the purest sense. Gotcha. Well, that's what he said. Up to people <laughs> to decide if that's accurate. It is considered a revisionist Western. So I think we'll probably talk more about like kind of what that means as we go through our watch notes. Um, but like the short definition of a revisionist Western is it's basically deconstructing those kind of like myths of the American West of kind of like the law is good and then it goes up against the bad guys and like the black and white morality and stuff like that, which we saw, you know, with definitely in our earliest Western, Cimarron. <laughs> Super flawed movie, but I think like you could look at that and say like, this is definitely like the the mythic American West. And then if you look at Unforgiven, you know, so many years later, it's taking that myth and like pulling it apart. Yeah, and to be completely honest, did not realize it was a revisionist Western when I started it. So I was sitting there for maybe the first like 20 minutes thinking to myself, what, who, how, who am I supposed to be rooting for like all of that? That's the question. Gave me the right questions and feelings, but it was also like, oh, maybe, maybe I'll like read the little synopsis there in the future. Yeah, it sounds like today was an Ian doesn't want to feel complicated things sort of day. You know? Absolutely <laughs> true. 
well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it was nominated for quite a lot of things. Uh, so Eastwood also won for Best Director, which I think is probably fair. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, he was nominated for Best Actor, but did not win for Best Actor. Gene Hackman won for Best Supporting Actor, which I totally see. Yeah, as uh, Little Bill. Yeah. Gene Hackman's so good at playing, like, these, like, kind of corrupt figures that have, like, a very twisted but strong code of morality. Consistent code of yes, morality. Yes, he's, he's, like, I just realized, I was like, he, there's, like, a certain kind of, like, villain trope he plays that he's so good at. Mm-hmm. David Webb Peoples was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. It was nominated for Best Art Direction, nominated for Best Cinematography, which I for sure see. Cinematography is on point. Jack and Green, absolutely killing it. Um, and then Joel Cox won for Best Film Editing, which I would agree with. There, there were some points, too, where they did the, like, they used the edit for a joke. They used it They used it for some very rough emotional scenes, but then they also used it as jokes a couple of times. So I definitely, definitely appreciated the editing. Yeah, I see it. And it was also nominated for Best Sound. Okay, my one gripe with the sound is his goddamn spurs are clanking so loudly the whole damn time. Whose spurs? <laughs> uh, Clint Eastwood's. Oh, I didn't know. And notice. I'm like, do spurs really clank that much? And hey, maybe they do, but that. I, now I'm doing the thing where I nitpick to get around my emotions. Um, <laughs> I only do it when I'm scared. Ian does it when he's sad. I do it when I'm angry. <laughs> you're only angry because you're sad. Correct. <laughs> I blame the movie. See, you know how I knew that? Because when I am scared, I also get angry. <laughs> it's 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 a coping mechanism, I fully acknowledge. It's a coping mechanism. Uh, and then it was number 98 on AFI's top 100. The original list actually got bumped up to number 68 on the 10th anniversary list. It was the number four Western in AFI's 10 top 10 Westerns. I see it being on that list. It definitely was above a couple movies that I was like, really? Yeah, I feel like I can't speak with enough authority on Westerns to really give a strong opinion there. I did think that this was worthy of being of say above say red river which i know might stab some people through the heart but like in terms of my main gripes with red river for example it like ends in a duddy like totally it anyway the ending of red river is like a complete opposite of how this movie handled the whole thing with the complexity and the like layers to characters and anyway if it if it weren't for the ending of red river i would put red river above it but because of the ending um i do think this is better than red river i personally think butch cassidy and the sundance kid is better i think it gives me more to latch on butch cassidy definitely gives me more to latch on to earlier on because that i think is going to be my main complaint throughout this whole thing is like yes we're dealing with really complex characters but i struggle to really get committed to the central plot of this movie until about an hour in. (laughs) I just, for anyone who's been listening to us from the beginning, um, just note how many times in early episodes, Ian says that he doesn't care about character and he's a plot driven Oh my God. You know what? (laughs) (laughs) Past Ian... I, I fully acknowledge that past Ian was a dumb baby who didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> and often I still am, but that's fine. I'm just trying to be say, better. I was going to say, as opposed to current Ian. 
But uh, no, I, I would agree though. Like I, you know, I, I have, you know, as stated from the very beginning, love character, but it, this movie, you know, there, there isn't really like a hero. We have a protagonist, but we don't really have a hero. Like there's not really someone you can like latch onto and like fully a hundred percent, like get attached to from the beginning. So it does take, I think a little bit more to feel involved in the movie mm-hmm. and engaged in the movie. Um, I know we've kind of been dipping into watch notes, but last little bit of background. So other nominees from that year, The Crying Game, A Few Good Men, Howard's End, and Scent of a Woman. Can't say I've seen any of those, but we're about to come up on things that I have seen. <laughs> Finally. Yay, I've, I've <laughs> have seen A Few Good Men, and it is very good. All right. So watch notes. I think the opening, while so... Uh, it's pretty. It's I, so pretty. I hate the text for the intro and outro. They're, they're just not needed. They're not needed, and it's really not the central point of the story. Yeah, not at all. Like, I I think one of my main complaints in the beginning, at least with Clint Eastwood's character, is we're told over and over and over again about this dark backstory, but in a way that is not engaging and honestly like uh, it just it didn't it didn't pull me in because like I'm to to talk about kind of like that whole exposition of his character like we see him struggling to be a farmer and so okay cool we realize he is you know trying to make a go of being on the frontier and making a life for him and his kids and a little bit further in he finally gets to meet up with Ned and they talk kind of obliquely about the bad things in his past but like I'm being told all this stuff and I'm not seeing it and I'm not really believing it in relationship to what I'm seeing him as on the screen. Now, maybe that's deliberate, but I just, uh, it just felt, I don't know if it felt luxury or just like a big data dump or like it, I don't know. I didn't like that. I think, I think it's done on purpose. There are some points that I like it. There are some points where I think it could have been done like a little bit more smoothly, but the whole point of his character is that he was not even really just like a gunslinger, like in the classic Western sense. Like he was just a murderer. He was a black hat villain, like full on. Like, yeah, just an indiscriminate killer, really. He blames it on being drunk a lot of the time and stuff like that. Um, and you get hints of it from like, you know, things like him saying, like, I'm not like that anymore, saying that, like, oh, like, my wife sobered me up. Uh, we establish his wife is dead in that uh, opening scroll. And so his whole thing is, like, she fixed me, which I have a lot of feelings about the fridged wife. They fridge. They fridge a lot, a lot of, people. of people. They fridge a lot of people. <laughs> um, and... Uh, the course of the story is him, you know, struggling with, I need the money for this bounty. So I'm going to go kill these people, but like, I'm not, I'm, that doesn't make me the person that I was. Like, I'm not going to go back to like that full monster that I used to be. And so we get hints of what he used to be with one, him kind of saying things like, I don't do that anymore. Or like, obliquely talking about the bad things in his past, you Mm -hmm. know, with like Ned and stuff. We do get the Schofield kid when he shows up and there's the bit where he is like, you can't be William Money because like, look at you. Like, you're not the one I've heard stories about. And so stuff like that, I liked when it was just other people reacting to him 
And so I wish there had been less of him and Ned talking about it and more of people reacting like that because I liked that interaction with the Schofield kid. There's the bit, um, this is jumping very far ahead, but where um, one of the sex workers comes to meet them with the bounty and Ned has been captured and she's saying all of the stuff that Ned said to threaten little Bill about like, my friend yeah. Will like killed all of these people and like blew up this train and stuff. And like, he's going to come after you and all of this stuff. And her relaying that information and just getting like more and more horrified like that. I liked. Yes. That that's the sort of stuff that feels organic and natural and not just, I don't want to bad mouth Clint Eastwood's performance in this movie too much because in the latter half, I think it was outstanding in the front half. It felt very flat. And when, especially when he was delivering these kind of backstory things, I didn't get like the, they wanted me to hear about this complexity of his character. And he was not like showing me that he had his own complex feelings about it in the way he delivered it and his expressions it was just very flat. So yeah, and I, I'm hesitant to, like, criticize it too much because I'm like, I mean, the character is trying to be very, like, put stoic. together and stoic. And then to see it crack in the latter half, there's one part in particular that I want to crack, that I want to mm-hmm. talk about that I was like, this is great movie making right here with just, like, everything that was going on in the scene to, like, show that character breakdown. But I, it, it again... It meant that you had to just be willing to invest more in that front half of the film, which yeah. not everybody's always willing to do. And Ian was not willing to do, but had to. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't. I, I I watched it with rapt attention. I will I will say that much. Okay. But yeah, I, I wanted to see some sort of conflict going on behind his expression, which I know we have seen in other movies outstanding like examples of that that are all escaping me right now because I yeah anyway that's my only note and I feel bad because like it's otherwise like good it's just that that was such a large part of the first half of the film that it, it really brought it down for me I think with that it's like I understand the nomination but I'm okay with not winning on that performance I think totally agree. but like I but like I support the nomination so we kind of talked a little bit about uh, an amalgam of those those scenes there. I do want to pivot to the town in Wyoming that I can't whiskey. remember. Whiskey. Big yes, whiskey, yes. Big whiskey. That's a good um, name for a town. It's a really a good Western. name for a town. And almost immediately we get the like kind of central motivating reason for all of these characters to come together. Um, and it the is inciting a- inciting incident. Think that's the word I was looking for. Huge it's trigger warning. Brutal. Trigger warning for uh, violence against women again. Y- yes. So uh, maybe fast forward, like you know, it's going to come up quite minutes. a bit. It is. It is the central thing yeah. of this. So it's a yeah. warning for the episode. Yep. Um, but we find that a cowboy who is partaking of a brothel services gets violent. And slashes a one of the sex workers repeatedly in the face, it's which a rough scene to watch. And if you can make it through it, it is shot in some of the. It reminded me heavily of like slasher horror films, 
in the way that they constructed both the cuts with the editing, the angles of the shots. Like it was, it, it was really good, but really bad, if that makes sense. I, I think it's like, I'm always torn on stuff like that. I, I think in this case, like it's definitely showing like how despicable the actions are. Like, so, so that you're, you know, fully on board with the like, yeah, put a bounty on this dude's head. <laughs> yeah. And it, I do have some problem just generally with that being the inciting incident because it all of a sudden we're now like treating this particular act of violence against a quote poor defenseless woman as the like thing upon which the people who are going to come in and hang their hat on honor on and like I don't know the fact that I don't do think it there's any bounty. honor in this movie uh, well I don't I don't think you can say it's for honor because they are 100% doing it for the money um I yeah it it is one of those cases where like you are using violence against a woman to further a male character story and arc uh we also see that later with Ned of them using uh, the death of a black man to further the character arc of white character. So in those instances, it's, it's icky. I do also think there is something, especially with the scene with like Alice and little bill about saying like, there is no justice. Like, look, look at the horrible thing that happened. Like how many people were there? No one's denying doing like, it is so clear what happened. And like the justice, like the person who should be getting justice is getting none because what happens is they call in little bill. Who's the sheriff. He originally is going to like whip the guy who committed the violence and his friend who did not effectively stop him. Uh, Yeah. Not at all. Yeah, so that's originally what they're going to do. But then the owner of the brothel, who can fuck right on off, Skinny, I think his name is. I'm just, I'm glad he's the first one to die. Let me put it that way. Yeah. There was a moment where I think the character was like, if you go now, you live. Like Clint Eastwood's character was like, if you go right now, you live. And he like didn't move fast enough. And at first I was like, don't let this guy get away. This guy sucks. His whole argument is that, like, now that she has these cuts that will scar on her face, she can't work effectively. Therefore, I'm going to lose money. And I have this contract between, like, me and her to work out here. Like, I paid for her to basically relocate. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm owed money. And so then little Bill is like, fine, then the guy who uh, slashed her has to give you five horses and the other guy has to give you two. And Alice is like, the fuck? Like, what about, I think her name's Delilah? Yeah. Yeah. She's like, well, what about Delilah? And I was like, yeah, even if we're going to go down this road of like brothel owners losing money and therefore gets like, should get compensation because he's losing money, then like, what about her? She would have lost wages too. Like, even if you want to go down that gross road. Yeah, I, as soon as they started positioning the workers in that brothel as property, I was like, oh, fuck. I, this whole print, like, I don't, that was, I think, I personally think a much further than they actually had to take it to be effective with the story. Like that whole thing didn't have to exist. You didn't even have to have that scene with them trying to deliver the horses and being driven off by mud pies being slung by all the women. Like 
yeah. that could have been fully removed and you wouldn't have lost an ounce of the, the effectiveness, in, in my opinion. But Yeah, I think I also did a little bit of quick research while I was watching this movie to see like how accurate the situation would have been for brothel like workers and owners. My light research uh, resulted in it varied from place to place. <laughs> so I mean, it is. I don't know. It also kind of smacks of like trafficking, too. I mean, in for, some oh, sense. for sure. Like, well, that's I, what ha- that's what Delilah's situation was. One hundred percent. So I. Mm. Anyway, we hate the whole town now, except for Alice and Delilah and their friends. Exactly. Because, I mean, the next morning they all come together and they're like, okay, we got to get together this bounty, which, like, slow-ass me at 9 a.m. this morning without having my coffee yet was like, why are they pooling their money? I'm confused. (laughs) (laughs) For justice, Ian. I got it eventually, I promise. (laughs) Well, and then later you find out that, like, that's definitely stuff that they've been keeping and hiding from skinny because he's like how do you even have a thousand dollars and i'm like yeah this is not this is not a uh fair pay situation no it becomes very clear no. uh but let's talk a little bit about the scene where you have the guys delivering the ponies so you have um our main horrible dude delivers his ponies and then you have the friend who was like definitely culpable still mm-hmm. Um, has that extra horse that he he says is for Delilah as like a, some just some sort of like restitution restitution for her and he's like you can you can keep it you can sell it like it's the best one I have it's better than the ones I gave that guy points to Skinny and this is such an interesting moment to me and I think is like very much in that revisionist Western because like. That it like it is good that he is doing that, but also it absolutely in no way, shape, or form makes up for the fact that he like didn't stop his friend when he had the opportunity to. And Alice calls him on it and is like, like, fuck you. Like that that doesn't like you don't get to now feel good about yourself and feel like, I don't know, like you're forgiven because Because you're unforgiven. Yes. Everyone's unforgiving. And I mean, there is part of me, the pragmatist in me is like, you should have taken that damn horse. Yeah, you should have taken, you should take the horse, take the horse and then throw the mud. Exactly. Like you you come out ahead and help. That'll help pay the bounty. She wanted that horse. And isn't it up to her to say whether she wants the horse? Anyway, I I appreciate Alice protecting. Alice isn't wrong. Her friends. Yeah. She isn't wrong, but I still think they should have been like, oh, thank you. We'll take the horse and then throw the mud. Get the fuck out. Yeah. So. Mr. Money does decide that he wants to go. He is uh, this the hog scene of him just getting like drugged down into the mud a couple times is like slightly comedic, but also such a beat down. And so you just get this beautiful scene of him watching. I think it was the kid just riding along the the top of the hillside in a very like cliche Western sort of framing. I love that shot. There's so, so much pretty. just, there's so much emotion. It's so pretty, but there's just so much emotion wrapped into that shot, right? Because, like, y- he's watching the kid right away mm-hmm. and, like, be able to go and leave and just, like, I don't know. I feel like in no that shot you get, yeah. And I feel just, like, in that one shot, you just, like, get so much of, like, money's emotion in that yeah. moment. 
but it he does decide to leave. He can't hit the broadside of a barn with his I gun, which I found scene. hilarious. I think that scene is so funny. I think it's so good. There are, you know, it is such a heavy movie a lot of the time. There are some, like, actually very funny moments. Um, him trying to hit that can with the pistol and being absolutely completely unable to do it while his kids just watch him like, ooh, this will oh, not and go the, well. The daughter even asked, did, did dad used to kill people? <laughs> like, not with shots like that. He didn't. No. Oh, when God. it's so funny too, just like watching Clint Eastwood, who again, like rose to fame playing these like quintessential quick draw cowboy. <laughs> it's just being a terrible shot. Yeah. And then he goes and gets the shotgun. <laughs> Spray and pray, bitches. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, but he does decide to leave, which one, why are you leaving your goddamn kids who are like all of eight years old? Okay, the son is a little older than eight, Maybe but still 10. not old enough. <laughs> I, my note is like, who is watching these kids? And he's like, yeah, I'll be gone for like two weeks. Uh, you can kill and cook some of the chickens if you need to. If anything goes really bad, like over to Miss So-and-So's house in like whatever he like names a small town. And so mm. you're like, that's miles away, if not days. It's crazy. And then just leaves his kids. And I do love the looks on the kids' faces as he's leaving. Just like, this is not going to end well. <laughs> Nope. I will say the whole setup of him leaving, I found to be a little bit um, not tortured, but kind of contrived because like, I don't know. Oh, there's the horse that's not like the son is like, dad, that's not a saddle horse. No, no, no. I mean more oh. the uh, like the kid coming down to like, it, it just felt very like, why did you come to him for because this? He, because he's William Money. Hundreds of miles away. He like, is, it's fine. He'll kill anybody. Okay, I'll I'll take it. I'll I'll just cast that aside and not look at it too hard. He's got a reputation. Um, <laughs> I do wish they had leaned a little bit more into, like, his reputation. Oh, agreed. It would have made that make more sense. Yeah, there were a couple missed opportunities for it, I think. Particularly in the town, originally. So he does leave, and he meets up with his best bud, Morgan Freeman, uh, who I was I was like, oh my god, Morgan Freeman, you're in this too? <laughs> He's so good. He's always so good. Yeah, yeah. He shows, I don't know, kind of a more human side to things in basically all of those scenes with him and, uh, I almost said Ned, but he is Ned, him and William. Morgan Freeman is one of those actors that like when you, whenever you see him in a film, especially if you didn't know he was in the film... You just like get really excited. Uh, yes, and I was so pissed that they fridged him, and yeah. they were fucking whipping him. Like, can can we talk about the layers of problems with that? Anyway, maybe that was the point, but it was still. I don't think it was in in good taste personally. But <laughs> what? Sorry, I'm being a did. Uh, hey, just, now we know talking, how it feels to about, do a like no, scary movie with. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Excuse you, every movie with me is oh my pure God. delight. No, I just, we're talking about like an incredibly violent revisionist Western and you just being like, I think it was in poor taste. <laughs> funny to me. It is, it is a little bit. Clutch your pearls a little tighter, Ian. Come on. I will, I will. Um, I, I don't disagree. You're just, your wording was funny there, to me. There are levels of poor taste and that was the poorest of tastes. And I, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> just no. Okay. I love the scene where we meet Ned. One, I think it's kind of a nice foil. Two, there is one of my favorite shots in the whole film here. Was this the one of the gun in the background? Ned in the doorway. And then he starts to kind of, he's like kind of questioning 
money is like a, so like, yeah, like how much is this bounty for and where is it and stuff? And you just see above him and above the doorway, this rifle, which is like Ned's like signature gun. Uh, but I just, I loved that shot. And they definitely take the gun off the wall. It's it's good. Mm-hmm. And they shoot it a lot. <laughs> they do. But honestly, the way they shot around that entire set was masterful. And I know uh, we're definitely suckers for those fun shots in Westerns in the jail where they work through the bars. They did that here, but they also did that with all of these kind of compressed small spaces inside. Like when they were shooting with the kid in uh, Money's house in the beginning, not only did you get this beautiful dark light contrast going on, which we have come to expect from this genre, but they frame everybody so beautifully within the set um, and just continued through with, with Ned's house. So ending on that shot was just like a pinnacle that they had been building up to. It's such a good beat to like start our, our ride across country. Should we take a detour here to talk about Bob. English Bob? Yes, we should. Because okay. this came out of nowhere and I was like, what the fuck are we doing with English Bob? I know that some <laughs> reviews of the time also were like, this came out of nowhere and what the fuck are we doing with English Bob? Um, but when it's Richard Harris. So anytime I get to watch Richard Harris be amazing, I do. But I actually think it's kind of a crucial sequence because it gives us so much insight into Little Bill. It does. And some of my favorite scenes are in the jail with... Boke, uh, what's his name? Beauchamp and uh, Little I know Bill. that I know that it's sometimes pronounced Beecham, but it's spelled like Beauchamp. But I don't remember which way they say it. I, they say Beauchamp, I believe, because okay. I'm like he doesn't look French. They say the French way. <laughs> so you have English Bob, okay, Richard Harris, on this train, and he's there with W. W. Beauchamp, the writer. And you've got those other cowboys like talking about something they're referencing. I don't remember. Garfield's attempted. Is it Garfield? Okay, yeah. I couldn't remember what. It was on the newspaper, was. like right there. <laughs> but yeah, so they're referencing Garfield's attempted assassination, and English Bob is like, "Well, see, this is why you need a king or a queen. No one would ever shoot royalty. No one assassinates royalty because they see the royalty, and then they're like, well, I can't. I can't.'" Because it's royalty. Like, he's he's being so, so English. Also. And I'm going to specifically say English and not British. That's, yes, I agree. And I just, I was rolling my eyes the whole time. If it. You're supposed uh, to, though. But, and it's Richard Harris, too. So he it's does like, it so well. <laughs> oh, he's so good. You're like, this man is a nightmare. But I could watch him for hours. <laughs> Like the character, you you like hate him, but he's somehow like weirdly charming because it's Richard Harris. I can't explain it. I I did not find him charming. I found him insufferable. So <laughs> I found him charming, and that I was like, I'm super interested in this character because I actually had seen this movie before. I did not remember any of the English Bob stuff. Whoa. Okay. I did not, which is frankly shocking. I, yeah, you remember all of the things I don't. <laughs> I remember a lot of the violence that made him work. Not surprised about that, but I do love with English Bob on the train that they do make him put his money where his mouth is when it comes to the shots piece because they're pheasant shooting off a moving train 
and he gets eight of the set eight of the ten birds and the other guy gets one so he's owed seven dollars or something which is such a a genteel way to prove your sharpshooterness right but at the same time you very quickly get the sense that like this man is a lot more talk than he is action um and of course Beauchamp's eating it up he clearly I think he's he is the representation of like old westerns in this movie oh you're um, right he oh never, my god I he never love learns this. his lesson though he never learns his lesson but he's that representation of the old westerns where it's like that I'm gonna romanticize this like the I want to hear the stories of you like walking in and like shooting five people in a saloon and stuff and kind of the romanticization of like this really tough hard life you know complicated life oftentimes problematic life, violent life. Like it, he is that romanticization element. And so it's so interesting to watch him move through this world that we as an audience see is incredibly brutal. Yeah. Ooh, that's a cool reading. So they come into town, ignore the sign that says no guns. I mean, Beauchamp sees it and just doesn't say anything. God, um, my favorite line later. Oh, he's such a coward. My favorite line later is when um, and it comes up twice is when he's like, I'm a writer. And someone goes like letters. And he's like, no, like, like books. But I love when Hackman <laughs> then at one point goes, so you can read then. Did you miss our sign? Yeah, that's, that's a great setup. And coming through with that joke at the end was beautiful, which they, they ignore it. A sheriff deputy like calls them on the fact he has a gun like out in the open. But after his haircut, where he's again railing against the fact that uh, we have a president, not a monarch. Because people will, why would you, of course you would shoot a president, Ian. Like, they're just just a president. Why not? But if it was royalty, Ian. You'd be in awe. Okay, the fact he has to go, how do I put it? In In awe. awe. Like, okay, you could have come up with a better phrase than in awe if you had to pause to think about it. Ian, it's so good, though. And Harris's delivery, it's just the most Pompous. Glorious writing for this character. Oh. I just, yes. Glorious I agree. writing, glorious acting. Where's his supporting nom? I loved it. But they are confronted outside, which the way that they edit the editing cut to this is just gorgeous because you have Beauchamp leaving and then bam, cut to Bob just surrounded by all the deputies and the sheriff with guns pointed, drawn, ready to go. <laughs> Love it. And it's almost like his reputation precedes him because they are terrified. There was a whole scene where they're talking about how terrified they are prior the to deputies the deputies are, are terrified, except for yeah. there's there's like a couple of the old the younger deputies are terrified. The older deputies are kind of like they know they yeah. know he's all talk, but they ultimately disarm him. There is some pithy uh, repartee between little Bill and Bob. And then little Bill beats the shit out of him, which I didn't see coming. And I was like, wait, what is I, happening? That scene here? really bothered me mostly because I was like, don't beat the shit out of Richard Harris. <laughs> <laughs> he looks so frail, Ian. He's so frail. I mean, he got himself. I, I will say that both. The character's shitty, but Richard Harris well, looks so fine. frail. It's, it's the magic. I know it's acting. The magic of the movies. <laughs> I was just, how do you say it? In awe. Ian. Oh, my God. <laughs> So he he ends up in jail. Now, we are getting like cuts back and forth um, between Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman. I think we should wrap up the English Bob. Yes, I was going to say, 
that is my favorite bits because the this jail scene scenes. in the jail house. Oh my god, it's so good! It's so good. So you have English Bob lying on a cot in one of the cells, beat to shit. Yes, like, I think pe- Beauchamp hurt. originally is in a cell, but then is out of the cell. Yes, you have Little Bill reading the book that uh, Beauchamp has been writing about. English Bob, the, uh, the quote, book. quote duck of death. <laughs> oh my God. That, that little gag is perfect. Beautiful. Uh, where little bill it's, it is written the Duke of death and little bill keeps saying duck. And it's clear the first time he like misreads the word and that. And that was a gag that started even before this scene. Yeah. Too. Oh yeah. yeah. It, but then he like leans into it at some point. He, when, uh, Beecham's or Bo, uh, Beauchamp's like, no, it's it's Duke, it's Duke, and he just kind of looks at English Bob and goes, I think it's Duck, <laughs> <laughs> and I just I loved it. I think I wrote down the exact line, but it's, oh, what like a great what a great moment. But it is one of those like little like adventure books that like people used to write. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with them, but like the I'm aware of their existence, and I'm aware that they were sensationalized. They're kind of pulpy, like yeah. Like, you know, not very thick, clearly just kind of these like, again, romanticized, one-off kind of stories Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. You can tell that uh, Beauchamp's interest in English Bob is waning and he's starting to get more interested in little Bill as the subject of a potential novel. And Bill loves it. He does. And he, the way that he tells the story about that time that, gunslinging Mr. Bob over here, which I, how, how has he lived, like managed to create this mythos around himself? He's the duck of death, Ian. (laughs) Quack, quack. Um, But when he killed that, I cannot remember the name of the person he killed. I don't know. There's a lot of weird names. Okay. That was my one complaint is they started talking about this expanse of characters and names of folks that I'm like, I can barely keep the main cast straight. But anyway, it's fine. But the fact that he shot a guy whose gun exploded his hand, like that was the culmination of this story. And that I think was it for Beauchamp. That's he's, he's fully in on little bills. uh, Well, I I think there's some interesting things about this. So Bill also gives this speech because the other guy drew first, Bob wasn't faster. And, Beauchamp's whole thing is like, well, whoever draws faster wins, right? And Bill's like, no, whoever keeps the cooler head wins. Because if you draw fast and like you miss. This was a beautiful setup. Such a beautiful setup. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, great setup. It also tells you so much about Bill's character. And I think this is where he starts railing against quote unquote assassins. And we get a little bit of his like really weird code of morality around like, like as far as Bill's concerned, the only people who are honorable are people who will just like straight up shoot. Like it's because it, he also has an issue with he's like, you get these kids carrying guns that like don't know how to shoot or like won't shoot. Like it's, it's a very toxic <laughs> version of honor. Yeah, he plays into this like almost machismo sort of like version of it where the only proper way to actually get in a fight is to have the quintessential standoff on Main Street. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I think according to Bill, the only honorable proper way to get into a fight is however he wins. 
I mean, that's because true. Because also, he's very strict on people carrying in his town, which, like, you know, pro-gun control, like, understand. But also his whole thing is that, like, you're only honorable if you, like, will actually fight me with a gun. But he won't let anybody actually get the chance to do that, except for if he knows he's going to win. Yeah. A.K.A. Which, this scene. I just... The line about all you have to do is shoot me and you can both waltz out of here. And Beauchamp, at Little Bill's insistence, picks up the gun, loads the gun, points the gun at Little Bill. But and Little this, Bill like, knows he won't do it. He try- He just can't. And I get it. I feel that so much. I fully believe that if for a second he thought he would do it, he would never have done that. And then there's the moment where Beauchamp goes, okay, I won't do it, but what if I give it to him? And points to English Bob, and there is a he- a moment of hesitation from Bill where you can tell he's weighing the odds of like, do I think English Bill will actually shoot me? And he decides, no, he won't. So then he tells Beauchamp to give, Bill, or to give Bob, so many names, to give Bob the pistol. And just the way they show Bob refusing to take it by he doesn't say anything it's just defeat Beauchamp hands it out like has it grip towards him next to his hand through the bars and Bob just moves his hand away it's such a oh it's so good and then it's probably my favorite scene why do all their names start with bees (laughs) then Bill Bill uh takes the gun back and shows Bob like it was it was loaded like you have With the bullets the falling, falling bullets on the floor. Yeah, as in like you could that was your chance, but you were too chicken to do it. And just Bob's just exhale of like pure defeat. I think that's also my favorite scene in the movie too. I think it's so well done. Absolutely my favorite. Followed closely by money riding out of town at the end. Yes. So actually those are neck and neck. I'm not sure which one I like more. Um Different reasons, but (laughs) so we do see Bob getting ridden out of town in cuffs and yelling about how they're all savages. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, bless your little heart. (laughs) Beauchamp stays. He's got a new subject, Ian. He's a sucker for a tall tale. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, Do we want to cut back to Money and Ned or do we want to quickly talk about the scene with uh, Beauchamp and Little Bill in Little Bill's house. Let's cut back to Ned and okay. them really quick because they're just riding along. They're shooting the shit. They have this really awkward conversation about visiting brothels, which was like, I wanted to just like hide myself. I hated that conversation. It was they really weird and it. awkward. No, we could not have that conversation. But they do meet up with the kid. And that's why I want to talk about this because we have a revelation that the kid is blind as a bat. I, yes. So originally, Ned and Money catch up to him. And he's like kind of shooting at them. They drop down into like this tall grass. And then he starts shooting away from them. They're like, wait, so he's there. First, they're like, someone's shooting at us. And they're like, someone's not shooting at us? Okay, well, someone's shooting at us again. What is happening? And then finally, Will like calls out. And he's like, you know, kid, is that you? It's It's us. Like, stop shooting. 
And of course they write up to the kid. He's super defensive. He is like, I just saw that like two people were following me. I only invited you. Like, who is this guy? Like hackles up in a way that we're like, something happened here. And it isn't until they're writing. There's, there's that moment where money's looking at the storm clouds and the kid's like, mm-hmm. what are you looking at? He's like, well, I'm looking at those storm clouds. Like a storm's coming up on us. And he's like, oh yeah, I saw that. And you're like, he didn't see that. And then Mm-mm. suddenly that whole scene, that whole With meetup the, makes the perfect hawk. sense. Yeah. The and then Ned, thing. Oh, it was Ned so great. is like, oh, you you can t- like see it clicking on Ned's face. Um, and he's like, oh, yeah. You know, hey, kid, I bet I could shoot that hawk. Like that's right up above us. And of course, like kid looks up. And he's like, oh, yeah, I could shoot that hawk, too. We get a shot of just clear sky. Okay, no dumbass me was like, wow, how does Morgan Freeman see that hawk? Ian. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait, there is no hawk. <laughs> I just thought this was going to be a thing about Morgan Freeman having really good vision since he was so good with that rifle. So <laughs> it went the opposite way, obviously. Yeah. yeah, it did. The kid, of course, is super defensive after Morgan Freeman's like, great, this guy's blind. We're going into a gunfight with the guy who can't see. The kid's like, I can see. They pretty shoots much established. canteen. Like, that was rude. Shoots it. Rude. I do also love, I, I think uh, James Wolfett, who plays the kid, does a really good job, especially having to act against, like, these two absolute titans in Eastwood and Freeman. Uh, I do love watching this character be an absolute brat to like these two old tough gunslingers slash outlaws. Yeah. Yeah. And to their credit, they do kind of see through his bullshit even before it's admitted that he has never killed anybody before. Like it's, it's clear. Well, according to him at this point, he's killed five people. Yeah. Nah, 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 nah. Um, I do. We do establish that he can see 50 yards. So I felt so targeted right then, that? though, because I can't see for shit either. So, it, hey, it's it's fine. I'll tell you what, Ian, we'll not accept any bounties. <laughs> I have glasses, so it's fine. I can I can see fine. Okay, could have gotten glasses. So now I do want to talk about the sheriff's house that he is building himself and is very really, proud really of. Really bad. Very garbage. proud of. It's so bad, though. I love you have deputies remark on it multiple times where they're like, there is not a right angle in that, in whole that house. entire house. <laughs> and he's like, he did the whole roof himself. And there's this big he's porch. So, OK, so proud of it. Location and house goals to a point. But I wanted it to be built right. Like you get to sit on this lake and watch the sunset with your like tobacco pipe. And like, then when it yes. rains, you run out of pots to put that under the hilarious. leaks in the roof. And even Beauchamp in that scene is like, okay, come on, man. <laughs> I know. I love that Beauchamp doesn't know that he built the house. And at one point is like, you should kill the carpenter. I related to that because I've said shit like that before and felt so like, oh. Oh, on a dime. Bill's like, excuse me? What did you say about the carpenter? <laughs> There's the like comedic. the carpenter. Yeah, that was, it's a comedic term, but it's also so telling about Bill's character, right? Like it's really mm-hmm. good writing. And like a great performance from Hackman because it's like he can sit there and make fun of all these other people and like talk a big game. But the minute you do the tiniest little slight to anything having to do with him, he is dead serious. Like he he's so fragile. Yeah. His ego is very, very fragile. And I honestly view the house as kind of a symbol for his like overall sheriffship in the town where it's like, okay. 
you think you can do all this by yourself up to a standard. And then as it progresses, the house is getting, quote, more finished. But all of the cracks and the leaks and the not right angles are like starting to show. I think it's also Bill as a person too, right? Like, you know, it's it's this house. It's this symbol of like stability and like, I don't know, like it, like normalcy and stuff like that. And Bill, you know, has his whole like, you know, acting like he's an honorable, just sheriff. And it's so clear that that's not mm-hmm. true. Just like it's so clear that this house is extremely poorly built. But I also want to talk in this scene about Beauchamp a little bit more because his reaction and excitement to the story we're hearing is very different from like, I don't know about you, but my reaction to the stories we're hearing from Bill, like they're brutal stories, extremely violent. A lot of the violence is like super unprovoked and like just seems like senseless and over the top. And I feel like that one, that's such good writing and acting. And like, I feel like it was done on purpose. Cause again, if we're thinking about Beauchamp as like the symbol of like the old school romanticized notion of the West, like hearing that story and he's hearing like adventure and excitement. And we're hearing like, wow, this is really messed up. Yeah. It is really good writing. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that is interrupted by uh, Bill. Ned, not Bill, I'm sorry, William Money. That's going to confuse the shit out of me. Jesus. Uh, His name's Ned, Ian. Clint Eastwood. Ned's the only one I got like a good handle on. <laughs> yeah, same, because it's the most unique. Yeah. And the kid uh, have arrived. The Of course, this is where they didn't need to talk about Clint Eastwood's character not wanting to visit brothels. This would have been the perfect point to reveal how attached he is to his wife and keeping on the straight and narrow. Anyway, yeah, end rant. Right. Um, but he is feverish as hell and confronted by little Bill because he's, you know, carrying in the town. I ugh. I, I don't think he's actually carrying, is he? He is. He, they is disarm he? Okay. Him. Yeah. Okay. I, I have so many mixed feelings about this scene because I know it's set up as like a conflict between Will and Bill. Oh, God. We're going to go back to calling him money as between money and bill. But it, it feels clunky. Like I know you have money with like the fever, so he can't really fight back. Mm -hmm. He's kind of unclear on what's happening. Uh, Ned and the kid are at the brothel. And then of course you have like the confrontation with bill and money. I kind of feel like there's a missed opportunity again for money's backstory here. If bill also knows who money is. Yeah. And if you have a confrontation, maybe based on that, and instead of like him not fighting back because he's feverish and weak and disoriented, you have him not wanting to fight back because of the straight and narrow, being like, mm-hmm. this is not the person. Like, you know, clearly we have a lot of moral gray area because like he is willing to take a bounty to kill two people. And he makes it very clear that he's doing that. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, it wasn't right that they, like, cut up a woman. But also, I really need the money. Like, it's very clear that the money is the main motivating Mm -hmm. factor. I think it would have been interesting here if, like, he ends up getting beaten by Bill because he's not willing to fight Bill back at first. Because, like, that's not 
what he's here for. Like that's not what like the quote unquote contract is for. So I think mm-hmm. that would have been interesting and then it would have been even more powerful at the end. Yeah. And I, I also, my, my alternate reading on that though is little bills. It does more for little bills character than anybody else. Cause it, he has this indiscriminate, well, it's not indiscriminate. He doesn't want trouble in his town. And the way he goes about it is any outsider needs to get the fuck out. And honestly, throughout this, we haven't really touched on it, but throughout this entire progression of the film, we do get periodic cuts to all of the women from the brothel talking with like, whether it be skinny or little bill about how like all of these violent riffraff are going to come to town and we don't like it. So like, I see that as consistent with little bills, like hard line against this trouble in town. Yeah. But he's also not supposed to be the main character. I mean, yes, but it's consistent, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And like develops his, but it would, but we've already had so much from him. It would make a lot more sense if we did some heavy lifting on money at this point. Yeah, you're right. And I also like to slightly pivot, but it is related. The fact that he is sick and then we have to spend three days doing fuck all in a snowy, how did it get snowy, like abandoned house, like somewhere near this town. I'm sorry. That was a non sequitur I did not want or need. Well, and he gets beat up. They do it so that like there, there are some interactions with him and Delilah that I think we should talk about that are like very like interesting and stuff. And I think that's partially why. And then you also have like the kids like, Ned, we don't need him. And Ned's like, we kind of (laughs) do. So they didn't do nothing, but they didn't do enough to make up for it in my, in my opinion. Cause I, we still, even up to that point, I think it was nice to get a little bit more. Actually, we didn't really get more about Delilah. Like that, that's kind of my other gripe is I would have liked her to be a little more in it. Yeah, we get a we get a little bit of her. I would have liked she's kind of flat. So mm-hmm. I would have liked more to her character. I feel like we get a lot more on Alice as a character than we do on Delilah. Um Yeah, I'd agree with that. But we do, you know, we do have her bringing medicine to money and stuff mm-hmm. and then there is kind of the interaction with them where she's like, "Oh yeah, like Ned and the kid have been taking advances on the bounty." <laughs> that conversation about a free one. A free I just one. again super cringy i just very awkward i i think it's i'm torn on that scene because it's awkward and cringy in some ways but then also at the same time you're like delilah kind of needed some reassurance i think i agree but i wish delilah were more than her appearance same like but i just it but like i wish they had leaned more into like this was her livelihood I mean, true that I I would agree with that. The other thing about this that I really hated is the kind of heavy handed resurrection three day bullshit and the fever Ah. dream about seeing all the angels and things. I'm like, that didn't, that didn't hit me at all. But you do, we do get the like money's like incredibly like he thinks he's dying and he's very afraid because he's like, I'm a bad person. He basically Mm -hmm. had like some sort of nightmare about his wife who, again, they bring up constantly, but I also don't have, like, a super good sense of her. It just seems like she was very, like... She's the perfect fridge wife. She is the perfect fridge wife, Ian, you're right. Like... <laughs> I just... It's it's interesting because, like, there is... There's another Western, actually, like, an older one. It's called The Sons of Katie Elder. It's got, like, John Wayne and Dean Martin. And the whole story is these four brothers who have, like, not talked to each other in ages, some of whom hate each other, come home because their mom, Katie Elder, died... 
And you never see her, obviously, in the film because it starts after her death. But you get, like, an incredible sense of her as a person based on, like, what each individual son remembers of her and, like, Mm -hmm. what people say about her. And so it's, like, you had the opportunity to, like, like, I think you can have a character that isn't present and still make them feel so, like, real and layered. And I think there was an opportunity to do that here that was missed. Yeah, I... I completely agree. It was a huge missed opportunity. But we are quickly moving to where the shit hits the fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> finally. Finally. Will is well again. Him, Ned, the kid, they all go to finally make good on that bounty. The one person whose name escapes me, the one who tried to give the extra horse over. Yeah, the friend. Um, they... The way that the scene was shot, I love the tension that they built because it's very clear. This scene's incredible. Yeah, like not my favorite, but still so well done. Ned doesn't want to shoot the guy. And it is so clear, even as he is like lined up, ready to do it. He just cannot pull the trigger. Well, first he gets the guy's horse. So the guy and the horse fall, one of his legs, the one that falls under the horse is broken. Mm -hmm. So... This entire scene, or the entire first half of this scene, is just a, like, slow, the injured guy trying to crawl behind some rocks as you have originally, you know, Ned ready to take the second shot, but so clearly can't bring himself to do it, which is so interesting because Ned is the one who chose to come along. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, like, like actually, like, asked to be a part of this, and then you, you see him you know, I guess suddenly realizing like, I can't do this anymore. I am not who I was. You have money who has been insisting that he doesn't want to be here and that he is not who he was taking the gun from Ned, showing that, you know, even if he's not fully who he once was, he's a lot closer to past him than Ned is. And, but again, missing shots. And you get down to, of course, the Scoville kid can't see. So he was being like, did you get him? Did you he get him? He to calm the fuck down. Like, dude, Everyone's let them like, focus. Shut up. <laughs> um, I'm, like, I'm like, he'll tell you when he gets it. Final shot. Money gets the guy. But he gets him in the gut. Ugh, so horrible, it horrible is, way to die. It is like the worst death it is not quick it is not clean and like again thinking back to like if we're thinking of this as like a revisionist western and deconstructing the myth of the old west it isn't good guy against bad guy standoff you know the do 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 tumbleweed in the background and then one shot immediately dies no blood like right like it is a gruesome horrible death the scene is long and i think it is so purposely wrong or so purposely long because like we have to sit there with them. You have the guy who was shot crying out for his friends. Mm-hmm. Eventually they want the water and they let him Eventually money's like for well, money's the one that's like, for God's sake, get him some water. And of like the guy's like, You're not gonna shoot. He's like, No, we're not gonna shoot. Like, get give the dying guy some water. Money is disgusted with himself. You have Ned still kind of in that like fugue state state that like horrified fugue state i think you have the schofield kid clearly not fully understanding it yet but starting to see that this is like 
not what he imagined it to be. And and even like when when Clint Eastwood actually shoots that last shot and it gets the guy, there is the moment where the Schofield kid is like, did you get him? Did you get him? And he's like, yeah, I got him. He's like, well, is he dead? And Clint Eastwood's like, yeah, he is dead. I got him in the gut. Like, it's just like, oh, the juxtaposition of between like who actually has lived this life and knows what's going on and how this is going to end versus like the people who are enamored with the stories is just so incredibly clear. For sure. And I, it, yeah, it's just brutal. But that is kind of the motivating factor for Nith leaving. And I do appreciate that money does have some like, okay, I will still get your share. You were in this, all of that. But what kills me is they do capture Ned. And this was the scene that I was talking about where I'm like, okay, this was like extra low, unneededly low. We, one, they didn't need to fridge Ned. Two, we definitely didn't need to see any of the like questioning and like torture and stuff because it is described to us later. Yep. And you know, I know usually we're like show, don't tell. You can tell not show. <laughs> In this this circumstance. There are just certain things that, I don't know. You, the movie is brutal, and it keeps being brutal. And I think this was the one scene where I think it verged a little into the gratuitous. Because I, I, I really do think that the two cowboys who the bounty was on, like, seeing their deaths while also violent, it was differently violent. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, one, it feels narratively earned. Mm-hmm. Two, I think the point of those deaths being so brutal is purposely deconstructing that myth. Like, I think there is a point to that. And, like, especially when we see the second guy who the Schofield kid shoots while he's just in the outhouse. Mm-hmm. I think specifically with that character seeing, like, this is not glamorous is very important. The stuff that happens with Ned does not serve that purpose. Yeah. Anyway, he's there. They, as you mentioned, um, the kid and, oh, wait, before we get into this, the the interaction between Ned, not Ned, I'm sorry, money, between money and the kid after they knock off the second dude. Holy shit. Like, the kid finally realizes what's going on. And, like, he admits that that was the first person he ever killed. And I love how money is like, not surprised. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, not at all. And like James Wolvett, outstanding here. And like, well, I, I thought he in the first half was a little one note. Kind of everybody was a little one note in the first half. This, the depth of his performance when he's just taking drags off the bottle of whiskey when he's realizing what's happening is just so devastatingly sad and like ned sees it and is like okay i told you <laughs> is what i can see him thinking but oh yeah. and it just even goes further south when um the one woman comes and brings the bounty the bounty and that's when she describes what happens to ned we get you know the final bit of fleshing out just mm-hmm. how horrible money was and what i love um, is how money starts drinking you know. He starts drinking. He's refused to drink up until this point, even in like the middle of the storm to keep warm and everything. But I love that it's like she'll say something that Ned said or she'll say something that alluded to Money's past drink. 
the next one even worse drink even more like it's I love that bit it's so well done it's so well paced there is a line here that makes me furious and that is uh when money says so little bill killed him for what we done referring to Ned being killed and I'm like yeah no shit don't be dumb money we know you're not dumb do oh do we Okay, if his backstory is as like storied as it he's sounds, not like he's a criminal not dumb. Master- no, but he's not like a criminal mastermind. He was just a violent killer. But I feel like you have to have some. There's no like gentleman thief element to him or something. Like he's he's not Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Ian. But he has to have some like base understanding of cause and effect, and the fact that they because they rode together, yes, they're like joined in some way. I don't think he does. Well, I mean, As he, stated, he asked the question, so obviously he doesn't. He was drunk most of the time, too. Back in back in the day. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, that line that's just like, pissed me off. Yeah, that's fair. Now, the the scene in Skinny's saloon where Little Bill is talking about all the free drinks and about how they're going to like go and ride off. Oh my god, iconic Another entrance! Amazing shot. Iconic entrance. So good. You have Bill working the crowd, giving that big speech of like, yeah, you know, you get the two free drinks, but then it's on your own money. But don't spend all your money because we're riding out as a posse tomorrow. Then you just have coming up slowly in the front of the frame as you have Bill in the back. You just have the shotgun. A shotgun. Oh. Great cinematography. Great editing in this scene. Like You see little Bill's reaction first. And then it's like, yep, you know, (laughs) you know. Uh, Skinny dies. Good. He sucks. Yeah, I was super happy with him being the first. Now, what I did not expect and what I love that they did with this is the misfire on the second shot. And that's when we really get hammered home the efficacy of Money's uh, abilities because he's in like a 7v1 and comes out unscathed. But what I love with this, he is the calmest, coolest, most collected cowboy in this entire... I was trying to think of another C word that could mean saloon, but... <laughs> I mean, it, and Ian is just like Bill told us. It's the smartest, right? calmest head that's going to prevail in this type of situation. And he lets the, the line about... Everybody leave who doesn't want to get dead. And they're all like, yep, we'll, we'll fuck off. It's fine. See ya. All good. <laughs> uh, we once again have uh, Beauchamp who just can't freaking help himself. He like has like wet himself multiple times, but like cannot help himself approaching who he now thinks is the biggest, baddest gunslinger. It's like once, once one of his idols dies, he's like, now I will idolize the person who killed him. It's like he's always mm-hmm. looking for the bigger fish. And I, we once again have the, like, I'm a writer of, like, letters, no books. But I do appreciate that he's like, get the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. Money's like, I don't care. Like, I don't want you around. Uh, we have the shot in the mirror where you see not quite dead yet Bill move. Oh, there is a bit that uh, Beauchamp says to Money where he's like, oh, and you shot Bill first. That's because he was the best, right? Like, you always shoot the best person like the best shot first right and money is like what and he's like that's what bill said and money's like i think i just got lucky in the order it's like luck luck is why they survive not because of deliberate well 
there's some deliberate stuff that he did. Right. It's a whole hell of a lot of luck. Yeah. And then you have, you know, Bill not quite dead. I love the bit. Oh, Bill, Bill as he's dying saying, I don't deserve this. Oh, deserves got nothing to do with it. Oh, that was such, it was devastating. It was like, oh, fuck. This was all for nothing. It's true though. It's like nothing, like anything that happened for the most part with, I'm going to say with the exception of like the two that the bounty were actually on, no one else deserves anything that happens to them. In yeah. this movie. And everybody was left worse off. Right. And again, Everyone. deserve has nothing to do with it. All of this happened because people did stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's such a good end to Little Bill. It really is. And the final scene in the town of money leaving and being like talking a big game that he has proven he will back up, might I add. Like nobody's going to shoot him. People actively refuse to shoot him. And he rides out of this like... We need to talk about what he actually says. He walks out in the street and is like, anyone who shoots me, I will kill them. I will kill their entire family. I will burn this down to the ground. Like Everyone's like, you know what, Yes, sir. Leave. Fair enough. (laughs) And his comment about making sure that Ned gets a good burial. I'm like, he'll make good on that. But the final shot of the cam, us just like backing out of the town... In this I want to talk about him writing off though, really quickly, though, because talk oh. about deconstructing the Western myth. We don't have a hero riding off into the sunset. Nope. We have a killer riding off into the storm. Yep. And again, such horror vibes on that last shot. Like it's just dark with little pinpricks of reflections off of super postmodern too. Like oh my very god, postmodern ending. And then we cut to the farm and Didn't need get it. the the final. It I that's when I think it was just the tension of the last scene just like completely overwhelmed me, and I was like, "Oh shit!" And honestly, I, the bit about him abandoning his wife's grave was, I I thought that was a really important snippet for his character. Adds nothing for me. I want that final shot being him riding off into the storm. I wouldn't have cried. I want to end on we that. We hadn't had it because, like, he's leaving his grounding. Like, I didn't like the intro and the outro. I didn't like the little scroll of text. I just I didn't think it added anything. I and it made me expect more from certain things that were not fleshed out. Like it made me. I don't know. Like I felt like it. It made the story off center for me. I I think the intro maybe meh. But you can't have the outro without the intro. Otherwise, it's then just weird. Like, if you if you did one, you had to do the other because you had to bookend it like that. But I didn't like them both. I want to get rid of them both. I wanted a way that we still had him leaving his wife's grave. I don't know what that would look like, but I wanted it. I want him riding off into the storm. We never know if he makes it home. We don't know what happens. He's now the boogeyman of the Wild West. The boogeyman of the wild. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but actually, he. Tell me, he I'm in wrong. some ways, is if you the big lived bad. in that town, if you lived in that town, first off, I'm sorry. While your town has the best name, Big Whiskey, not a fun town. But if a massive gunfight, well, actually, it's not that massive. It's a pretty quick gunfight. I'm not gonna lie. 
it would have been a little bit more fun if we had a more intense gunfight. But also, you know what? Respect it. But if, like, that happened and then this guy was like, anyone who shoots at me, everybody dies. Like, you tell... He's the boogeyman now. Yeah. Just like he once was. I like that better than scroll text. I mean, you're not wrong. Thank you. But lists are going to be hard. <sighs> yeah. I, I'm going to be p- perfectly honest. When I was watching it last night, I was like, man, I remember enjoying this more. And then now, and so like my estimation of it had gone down a little bit. But the more we talked about it, the more I was like, actually, this is super well thought out and like really good. <laughs> I will actually go first on this one because I'm pretty sure where I want to put it. So I think for me, Unforgiven slotting in at number 29 um, so that puts it right after Patton and right before A Man for All Seasons. So after Patton, because I think Patton just does, like, it, it's more focused on, like, one central character. But we're seeing kind of the similar thing, right, where we don't have, really have a hero. We have more of a protagonist. They're morally gray. We watch mm-hmm. them spiral. Um, I just think Patton, the script's a little bit tighter. It's a little bit more focused. And there aren't really, like, the missed opportunities with some of the side characters that we saw in Unforgiven. Well, and the pacing was the pacing's better. much better, in my opinion. Like, yes. and yeah, I think the slowness of the first half was deliberate, but stylistically, I didn't like it as much. Right. Well, and I mean, talk about an iconic opening with Patton. Like, for immediately sure. you were there, you were in it. This, again, puts it right above A Man for All Seasons. So for me, I really enjoyed A Man for All Seasons, but that is another one that is a little bit slower paced. And we're not really playing with morality in that one. It is very clear who is in the right and who is in the wrong. I still think it's oh, a very sure. great film that really kind of goes into a lot of like commentary on like power and ethics and you know being true to yourself and stuff like that. But I, I, I don't think it's a particularly like complex film as much as I did enjoy it. So I think that that's, that feels good for Unforgiven right there. Yeah, I honestly. In the middle, well, it it was a roller coaster of a movie for me because again, it's about a two hour, two hour, two hour, ten minute movie. For like the first hour, I was sitting there like, how how did this win Best Picture? And then the next half hour, I was like, okay, I can see it. And then the last like twenty minutes of this brought it all home for me. And then some additional reading afterwards, I was like, wait, I missed out on so much of what was happening when I wasn't aware of what it was trying to do, which, hey, that that could be a critique, but I view it as my own like inability to think prior to having my morning coffee. So for me, I like really appreciated this and it's my 21. So it's a lot, not a lot higher, but kind of a lot higher. <laughs> yeah, that, it's, it's a little bit surprising because I actually, I thought going into it that I was going to have it higher than you did, but Interesting that that flipped. It's a, another one of those films where I'm not sure that I liked it so much as I find it astonishingly impressive, like what it was going for. So it's an appreciation more so than a like. That's fair. But that puts it for me after The Last Emperor and before In the Heat of the Night. So I think for In the Heat of the Night, visually for me, I, I kind of place them in the same kind of realm where you have this dark, gritty sort of like underbelly of things but the additional complexity and quite frankly the much better ending of the unforgiving uh unforgiven sorry um is what pushes it above in the heat of the night for me 
I just, In the Heat of the Night would be in my top five if it wasn't for the ending. It's just, uh, talk about missed opportunities. I know. Talk about a <laughs> film that just like completely got undercut by its ending. Yeah, it's disappointing. Now, putting it after Last Emperor, I'm really torn here because I know we really talked about the beauty of The Last Emperor, and I still stand by how gorgeous it is. But the thing is, The Unforgiven is too. And in many ways, I really do think The Unforgiven is narratively better and more complex and has more like commentary than The Last Emperor. So... Like, I'm kind of struggling with my choice to put it here. But at the same time, my number 19, which is one above that, is The Sting. And I think even trying to talk about those two movies in the same sentence is just like, I don't Very know. Very It's, I mean, like, I realize that I'm copping out here, but it, it definitely belongs in this, like, rough area of my list. The, like, individual orderings, I, I think I could take or leave. So basically, if you look at my list... Anything within about five spots of one another, probably pretty interchangeable, depending on your mood. So that's that's going to be my 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 cop out there. But my list is in stone. Everything is exactly where it should be, down to the individual spot. I'm just kidding. That's okay. Stop, because you're like playing to my like industrial engineering optimization heart here, where I'm like, if I could accurately measure every aspect of every movie that I, I have made, I could art. optimize it. <laughs> Yeah, if I could exactly. put a numeric value on art. But anyway, it's I, I was surprised to see it so high on my list because going into it, I was like, oh, fuck this. But it it turned out to be Again, really it was good. also, it was just one of those movies that like the more I talked about it, the more I was like, oh, yeah, wait, <laughs> this is really, really well done. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, that's why we do the podcast. Yeah. Not the first movie that that has happened to me with. That's so. true. Same, same. Those are some of my favorite episodes of, of like me like discovering the movie as we chat. Um, so uh, that wraps it up for Unforgiven. We have some very cool special episodes coming up. So definitely make sure you are subscribed. Also rate and review. That helps us out. Find us on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter as at Best Pictures Pod. And then you can also email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, definitely be sure to join us next time. We have a very special summer themed episode coming up that is going to be very different in tone from the last couple episodes we've done. Oh, I need it. I need um, it so badly. And then uh, after that, we'll actually be our 100th episode. And I think we've got something really cool planned. So definitely make sure to check those out when they they drop. Thanks again for listening. And uh, as Maggie said, join us for some fun summer episodes very shortly.